0: Welcome to MuggleCast, your weekly ride into the Wizarding World fandom. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric.
1: I'm Micah.
2: And I'm Laura.
0: And this week, your Harry Potter friends will discuss Chapter 13 of Prisoner of Azkaban, Gryffindor versus Ravenclaw. So grab your Firebolt or your Comet 260 and get ready for the big game. But first, a couple of announcements. Visit our Patreon to hear us revisit the release of the Order of the Phoenix book, 20 years ago, it was released this month. And stay tuned for another bonus MuggleCast later this week. Laura, can you tease that one for us? We're going to be recording it after today's ep.
2: Yeah, we're going to be talking about the plethora of stories that are either heavily inspired by Harry Potter or may potentially be Harry Potter ripoffs that exist around the world. And we're going to be talking about where you draw that line? Uh, what's the line between inspiration and ripping the story off? Um, I was first inspired to look some of this up by an anime that my boyfriend and I have been watching um, called uh, Mashal Magic and Muscles, uh, which is based on the manga of the same name. And it is very clearly drawing inspiration from Harry Potter. And I thought we could spend some time looking at examples there. So that'll be what we do in a uh, bonus cast this week.
0: Sounds good. So yeah, we're doing two bonus MuggleCast installments every month now. So lots of bonus content available on our Patreon. And that's just the start of what you get on our Patreon. So check it all out at patreon.com slash MuggleCast. Seven-day free trials are now available. So pledge today. Check it out. And if you're enjoying MuggleCast and think other muggles like you would too, tell a friend about the show. We would also appreciate if you left us a review in your favorite podcast app. And oh, wouldn't you know it? Here's a review now. This is from iHeartMooney, who wrote on Apple Podcasts, I am a teenager who has recently been going through some hard times in many aspects of my life. Harry Potter has always been a staple of comfort for me, but rereading and rewatching the books and movies over and over again can get a little tiring. This show has become my way of entering the magical world of Harry Potter. Whenever I'm sad, you guys never fail to cheer me up thank you so much for all that you do with the show and keep it up, a very grateful Ravenclaw.
2: Aw, has
0: nice. Thank you. I heart Mooney, we heart you back. Mm. And one more review I wanted to read. skidoosh 123 said, love this in Ohio. I love Ohio. I live in Ohio. Thank you, (laughs) Skidoosh. Classic.
3: Ohio is for lovers of (laughs) MuggleCast.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Is
3: that the state that does the for lovers thing isn't it virginia
2: i think yes, Virginia yes i knew that
3: <clears throat> I somebody knew that.
2: came out with a song though
3: yeah ohio that's that's is what i was lovers. thinking yeah, yeah come back to texas weirdly it's not even about ohio
0: <laughs> thank you to everybody who leaves a review we really appreciate it and it helps us be discovered by
1: new listeners so and thank you to everybody who listens to us in ohio and virginia <laughs>
0: Okay, now let's get to our chapter-by-chapter series. We're rereading chapter 13 of Prisoner of Azkaban, Gryffindor versus Ravenclaw. And as always, we'll start with our seven-word summary. Very
3: excited about this, taking a week off and then being put in the prime position for the first word this week.
2: Yep, (laughs) You're on the spot, Eric.
3: I love it. I'm ready. Cho. Distracts.
2: Harry,
0: with
1: her amazing looks,
0: (laughs) smile, skills, skills, looks. I like the I like the look. Yeah, I even typed it out that way.
3: Yeah, that bumps it from uh, you know acceptable or exceeds expectations to outstanding. It's really good. And thanks again to people who are voting on our seven word summaries, how much you like them using the patrons
1: Facebook group. Thank you. Thank you. Last week was pretty solid. I'm just going to say that.
3: Yeah, it's getting good,
1: good votes.
2: Well, let's get into our chapter here. I want to kick off this week's discussion by talking about a trio divided because it feels like prisoner of Azkaban is really the first book where we start seeing this trend of members of the trio feuding with each other for extended periods of time. So the chapter picks up with Ron still angry at Hermione over his suspicions that Crookshanks ate scabbers. um, And Harry even notes he can't see how they'd possibly ever repair their friendship. And on that note, I'll just add, Ron's mourning of Scabbers does seem surprising, I think, to other characters, but I think also as readers, because he never had very much nice to say about Scabbers until Scabbers' life um, came under threat by Crookshanks. Right, Micah?
1: Yeah, even Fred notes that Ron didn't care much for Scabbers, but I just wanted to say let's not forget that Ron doesn't have many things to call his own. And look at Scabbers, he's a hand-me-down pet, much like Ron had a hand-me-down wand through the first two books of the series. So I think it could also be that Ron just has a sense of ownership over Scabbers and he keeps- Losing the things that are important to him and nobody seems to care. And it actually ties nicely into the end of the chapter. I know we're a ways away from that, but Ron just he he has a rough go of it. I mean, nobody believes him at the end of the chapter, and we can talk more about how generally throughout the course of the series, he always seems to need that extra level of validation uh in order to be believed. But in this moment, I just think it's his pet. Like regardless, it, it means something to him, and nobody's seeming to really care about that.
3: Um, it's classic for I want to say children, and I want to say roughly around this age level, but I think this is maybe applicable to all ages. You don't usually appreciate what you got till it's gone or is threatened. And yeah. yes, Cabers is kind of pathetic, and I like the way that you know his family, you know, especially Fred and George, try and talked around about like you didn't really like him anyway. Um, but nevertheless, it is the principle of the thing is like we can't discount how many scenes already in this book. Scavers has just been in Ron's pocket. It's probably like a little warmth and a really nice little, little kind buddy. of buddy. Yeah, a little buddy. Ron's had this little buddy. Yeah, he doesn't think much of him, but he's been there all of Ron's schooling life. And um, that's not and nothing. tied to the family, which is worth something, too. Yeah. Yeah. So it is right. And it is right to point out that like Ron doesn't have much. And I don't think it's being overdramatic for Ron to be upset in this way, especially and upset with Hermione. The thing is like what we're seeing, Laura, and you're right to point out this overall trend where from now on the, the trio can disagree with each other. And I think that's that points to their growing up. It points to their becoming their own individuals like it was really, really important for them to all be a solid unit last year because Harry's going through the whole thing with the Chamber of Secrets and the Air of Slytherin. But now is when they start to be able to kind of handle that like discord within them um, and they're old enough to kind of deal with it. It's nice that in this book, it's not against Harry. Nobody's mad at Harry in this book because next book they will be. But he's able to kind of have <laughs> to navigate some of these feelings.
2: Yeah, no, it's a it's a great observation. And just to do kind of a high-level overview of what we're about to see for the rest of the series, you know, we see obviously in this book Ron and Hermione feuding over Crookshanks and Scabbers. And then there are these early themes of Harry self-isolating that we've connected the threads to Order of the Phoenix about. Um, then obviously in the next book, um, Harry and Ron actually feud because Ron is jealous. And he feels betrayed by Harry. He thinks that Harry entered the Triwizard Tournament without telling him and is lying about it. Ron's also deeply insecure, um, which we see manifested throughout the entirety of the series. And then Ron and Hermione also have a feud in the next book over Ron's jealousy of Hermione having, you know, romantic uh A romantic relationship with Victor Crumb. And he also just feels, I think, probably, uh, again, insecure and maybe a little shown up by the fact that it's his Quidditch hero (laughs) of all things. Um, You know, then we see in Order of the Phoenix, Ron and Hermione are more of a united front and Harry uh, does some heavy self-isolation and he's pretty pissed at them for a good chunk of that book in half-blood prince Ron and Hermione are back at each other's throats and this time it's very directly over their jealousy and their unspoken romantic tension and then uh in deathly hallows we have you know Harry and Hermione is more of a united front and Ron as the outsider for a good chunk of the book again going back to Ron's jealousy and his insecurity. So there are some pretty consistent themes going here throughout the books, and we really start to see them manifest here in Prisoner of Azkaban. But I wanted to ask us to put ourselves in our 13-year-old selves' shoes Okay. And take sides. You guys remember when we were this age and we had friends who were fighting? There was usually an element of the friend group picking sides over who they thought was right Definitely. in the fight. Mm-hmm. Um. So, whose side are we taking in this Ron and Hermione conflict?
0: So I'm taking Ron because he is right, and I think Hermione might be struggling to deal with this because she knows that. He is. And I, I just think that's a little hard for her to admit.
3: I struggled to side with Ron. I think he lacks a, a serious degree of, of of tact most of the time. And his approach is very emotion fueled and not necessarily the wisest at any time. But but in this one instance, again, I, I find myself not siding with Hermione. And for me it's more about We really don't see her make any effort to actually coach or train Crookshanks to stay away from Scabbers. Uh, To a certain extent, a cat is going to cat. But what is Hermione putting in place to really actually restrict? Because a cat is a cat, that's on the owner to then actually remove Crookshanks from the situation. And from later this chapter, when we see Crookshanks on the grounds of Hogwarts, it's pretty clear that Hermione just lets him go wherever he wants. And so for that reason alone, I just don't think she ever took Ron's concerns seriously and not seriously enough to do anything about it. And so when it appears that Scabbers has been eaten, then yeah, I have to side with Ron.
0: Eric has a cat and you can tell because he's speaking very passionately about this (laughs) subject.
3: Look, it's like cats, like, yeah, they're mischievous and they're gonna like, we're like, we say to our cat all the time, Martha, she's like goes and knocks like earrings and necklaces off the side of the table. Like we see her do it. We see her sitting on the ground looking up at it like she's going to do it. Then she jumps up and then we see her and we say, hey, hey, she looks at us. She looks back at the thing. She goes anyway. Like we have it's our responsibility. Get up and pull her away. If we don't want her to <laughs> that's Hermione. Hermione's like, no, Crookshanks, she's like, oh, leave scabbers a little, whatever. She'll say it but she's not putting any action in place to actually prevent what happens from happening so unfortunately look hermione's young too she's the same age as ron like we can't put her on some kind of pedestal here but we're going to see
1: martha slowly like come behind you eric <laughs>
3: behind
1: during this of, episode
3: yeah 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 I, I actually i closed the door for that reason because otherwise <laughs> yeah. she's all over <laughs> but no i mean you know what i'm saying her, hermione really just could have shown some effort as a as a cat owner you really got to sometimes save them from themselves.
2: Do y'all think maybe, and then I want to hear what you have to say, Micah, but do y'all think that maybe Hermione's in a little over her head with Crookshanks? Yes. Because he's not just a house cat. He's part Neasle, um, which is a different experience than what some of her peers are going to be having with their pet cats. And we don't, I don't think, know If Hermione's ever had a pet before so I'm imagining if Crookshanks is her first true pet and it's not just a cat it's a cat slash nasal there may be an extent to which it's hard or damn near impossible for her to control it
3: here's Yes. yes you see that argument works kind of both ways though I think that in general, in answer to your question, is Hermione like over her head? Yes, because this whole year she's over her head with everything she's got mm-hmm. going on. But if Neasel is a smarter cat, so you're like, oh, I put him in a room, but you figured out how to use the door on the on the room and get out, right? So you're like that. But on the other hand, if he's a smarter cat, her being able to just verbally tell him no should work more than it works on a regular cat too. So like, because, he, because he's smarter, He can take direction better than a normal cat. So it's like it works both ways. Like Crookshanks is more aware than any other cat would be why Hermione is saying don't do this and he does it anyway. So like, I don't know. I just see it working both ways.
2: Yeah, it's interesting because and I would love to hear other pet owners weigh in. I've always felt like the smarter a pet is, the harder it is to get them to cooperate Because they have independent thought and they're like, I'm not doing that.
3: (laughs) But there's magical kennels. There's magical like she could make she could
2: make like like
3: Hermione could figure out the uh, newt case extension storage (laughs) charm. And Crookshanks could have his own play park like inside a a, a, a drawer in a dresser up in the girl's dormitory. That would be sweet. It would be awesome. But like, that's the thing. Cats need exercise. They need especially especially cats, but also certain dogs too that are high, like functioning mentally. They need a puzzle. They need to play thing. They need stimulation. Mm -hmm. And it looks like Hermione is also not providing Crookshanks any of that either. So Crookshanks is going to be up to more mischief because he's sitting around and not being challenged on a regular basis.
2: Yeah. And I like your point about um, Hermione being in over her head with her course load. And then also, adding a pet to her life, presumably for the first time. That's just another layer of how much she's taken on in her third year.
1: I feel like Hermione would be much more attuned to what's going on with Sirius and maybe even figuring out that Crookshanks was involved in a lot of what was going on, if she wasn't so much over her head. We know she's very mm-hmm. good at figuring out what's going on. She does it in Chamber of Secrets. And I think just the coursework for her at this point is so overwhelming that you see the effects that the stress is having on her. And I think that also lends itself, as you guys were saying, to how she's behaving towards Ron. For me, I do side with Ron as well, just because Hermione is, if, if for nothing else, she's unapologetic. And that piece of it She doesn't even apologize for what Crookshanks most likely did in this situation. And that's surprising because Ron's a good friend and Mm -hmm. she's known scabbers for at least two plus years at this point. So you'd think that she would be a little bit more empathetic to what's going on, but she's really standing her ground.
0: Yeah, the worst people are the ones who can't admit that they're wrong.
2: And I think that's the thing. I mean, I ultimately agree with y'all and I think for me it comes from the fact that even if Hermione believes in her heart of hearts that Crookshanks didn't kill Scabbers, which, you know, we're going to find out later that you didn't. Um, even if she truly believes that the fact that you can't step outside of yourself and recognize that your friend lost their pet and is hurting and you can't even say I'm sorry is the reason why I side with Ron here. Uh, Unfortunate for Hermione, because that's the situation she's in, in this chapter. It seems like everyone is turning their backs on her. She's in the corner of the common room at all times, nose buried in her books, incredibly stressed out over this immense workload that she has landed herself with. And, it's clear, I think, that she wants people to come engage with her because otherwise she wouldn't be there. I mean, she's literally there studying in the middle of a party. But she doesn't know how Buzzkill. to kill. I know, right? <laughs> but she doesn't know how to at the same time, she doesn't know how to deal with the situation that she's put herself in because when Harry tries to talk to her, she's like, leave me alone, Harry. I have so much studying to do, Um,
0: (laughs) which is true. But yeah, she feels like an outcast in this moment. I think it's like, how do you work yourself back into a situation? We've all been there when we're feeling like, I don't know if I can squeeze into this party, this group of people, etc.
3: You got to learn your limits as part of, you know, the whole growing process. And Hermione is, like you're saying, clearly and overhead. What I like about, Micah, to your point, Hermione is a great puzzle solver. She actually has already figured out about Lupin too. And that comes up Mm -hmm. in this chapter. She's like, isn't it obvious? Um, But like, she is not in a place where she can divulge that because Harry and Ron aren't speaking to her, but she's also not making it any better. So she's now uh touting that she has this answer to this mystery but also isn't able to figure out what she wants to do with that info because she's so overworked
2: yeah Yeah. well um let's give hermione a break here um she's going through a lot i wanted to bring up a point that chloe actually surfaced last week and ask y'all based on this chapter do we think that ron Even though we think he's justified in this instance, is he looking for reasons to be mad at Hermione in this book? Just thinking about some of the earlier accusations about Crookshanks where nothing had actually happened yet. Um, Thinking about the Firebolt example where we established last week, the Firebolt would have been confiscated no matter If Hermione said something or not, but she was kind of the convenient scapegoat because she did say something Um, is Ron is is he predisposed to wanting to be mad at her? For
3: me, it's like a question of Ron's such a simple kid. He's easy just don't come after his scabbers and don't come after his friends and you get along (laughs) with him. Fine. He doesn't, we don't see him picking fights with other people. And he has all these wants and dreams, like one day being quidditch champion, but like, he doesn't ever act on them. He's just, he's wallflowering. He's very like at this point in his, in his life, it's very easy to be on Ron's good side. You just let him alone. And so I don't think he's picking a fight or looking for a fight or looking for adversity. I think he has trouble Forgiving people who've wronged him, and that's a lifelong journey. Um, but I don't think he's actively picking a fight. I would accuse him more of that, maybe like in the next book, uh, mm-hmm. in, in some of the things from Harry, where he lets his own insecurity tell his mind lies. But in in this, this book, very much this whole situation with him and Hermione was led by Hermione's cat and sort of her not again not taking that seriously. And so I I don't think I would characterize it as him looking for a reason
1: to be angry. I think too, it's just Ron, in, in the case of the Firebolt, he's defending Harry, yeah. right? And he's looking at it from the perspective of his best friend just got this really awesome gift and in comes the buzzkill <laughs> to hand it off to Professor McGonagall. And so th- the other thing though, that that I'm kind of curious about with Ron is he's a lot smarter than Many people give him credit for.
2: Yes. And
1: he has already several times throughout the course of this book noted that it's impossible for Hermione to be doing everything that she's doing. And I don't know that he's figured it out, but maybe there's part of him that's frustrated by the fact that Hermione isn't being truthful with him mm-hmm. about what's happening. And so he's looking for moments to try and go after her a little bit. I, I don't know. Yeah. Like,
3: yeah. I, I love that idea, could be. actually, yeah. that he's like, not even necessarily consciously, but he knows something's up and she's not being truthful. He's more inclined to be like, offended or wounded by her just by like any small thing because he knows something is up that he can't quite have mm-hmm. yeah. the time to grasp.
0: There's a simmering anger underneath. Or yeah. is it attraction?
2: <laughs> it's both. <laughs> it's a thin Maybe both. A thin line, I think we're meant to assume. Um, and I think that's more of what Chloe's point was. He's so heavily scrutinizing Hermione and her time in this book. I think that's the first time we really see that in the series, where he's paying so much attention to her. And we see the contrast when Ron brings this up to Harry several times in the book. He's like, How does she have time for these classes? Like, This class was happening at the same time we were all in potions. So how could she be there? And you can tell Harry doesn't care. He's just like, yeah, whatever, Ron. Like, I don't know. I can't explain Hermione. She's weird. Um, But Ron keeps coming back to it. And it's an interesting point because we see, you know, that uh, attraction and that anger kind of manifest itself throughout the rest of the series with Ron and Hermione bickering. It seems like all the time on and off, but we know there's this undercurrent of them liking each other. I'm just curious to know, you know, with that in mind and with it in mind that we have a TV show coming, how do we feel about some, how something like that would be portrayed on TV in in say, you know, 2024, 2025, whenever this show comes out, is that sort of in line with how we would want to see these characters portrayed? Because it's not a great thing. It's not a great thing to imply uh the the age old trope of he's just picking on you because he likes you. Yeah.
3: I think They're- every
2: every person who was socialized as female grew up hearing that kind of crap and it's not good for your psyche. So I'm just curious to know if there's an opportunity to change things up there.
1: With the TV show, I I think there's subtle ways of doing it. I think we've seen that with Mm -hmm. shows that we've grown up watching. We can always kind of tell who's going to get together based on how they interact with each other, even going back to when they're a little bit younger and then they slowly start to age into where it's appropriate for them to be a little bit more intimate. And I think that that's likely what they'll do with Ron and Hermione, but I don't know how explicit they're going to be in Prisoner of Azkaban's adaptation with this kind of stuff. I don't know that it even really serves the plot Mm -hmm. that much.
3: It's a credit to the writing that it's a building, a buildup. I mean, it's, it's not until book six, it's like the first overtly romantic book where any of these feelings are, where the subtextual is really textual with a few notable exceptions, like how Harry feels when he looks at Cho, which is also in this chapter. But like, I feel like the best way the adaptation could handle it is exactly like with that slow build where it's subtext, it's subconscious. You're not even aware you like this person. You're just kind of good with them in scenes. And then mm-hmm. eventually, as your feelings develop, you begin to like do double takes and look back and be more introspective. So I, I they would probably have to do a little bit more. Well, they would want to do a little bit more about the Ron and Hermione thing because it simmers for a couple of years to like invent moments where we can really touch back on, call back to, but I don't think they'll change anything drastic and make it more, I guess, uh, explicit or, or really call it out sooner than the time when that would occur in the books, which is basically the Yule Ball area.
0: The right. other thing to keep in mind is we know where the story leads. So even if the writers and directors aren't intending to imply a future relationship, we're still gonna look at certain scenes and dialogue and be like, oh, that was totally a hint of where things are going, even if they didn't intend to make it that yeah, way. So it's really yeah, unfair.
1: You <laughs> know you're gonna get a Harry-Hermione hookup at some point in this series.
3: It is HBO, only, only if all. Nick Only if Nick Cave can be playing in the background.
2: Oh my God. <laughs> Well, before I move on from this, I wanted to ask y'all quickly, um, just as we're reflecting on our own teenage years, do y'all remember any fights you had with friends when you were around this age? And as a secondary question, looking back on those things, do we feel as strongly about them now as we did then? We see Harry noting in this chapter, this really seems like it's it. Ron and Hermione are definitely done. They're never going to be friends again. Did we ever have that sentiment as teenagers with any of our friends?
1: It's just, if I can, just like really quickly, it's just so funny that that's Harry's perspective on things. Like, they're never going to get back <laughs> together. They're never going to be friends again. It's such but, a 13-year-old well, Yeah, exactly.
0: Thing I mean, you think the do. world is over. When when you're in a but, situation like this. Yes.
1: I don't know. Like, it's comical to, like, on one side, you have Harry, who's very concerned about whether or not Ron and Hermione are ever going to be friends again. But on the other side, he's being chased down by a mass murderer and, you know, is having to deal with everything. Um, I don't know. It's like two completely opposite ends of the
0: spectrum. Sometimes you need the uh, lower stakes you need drama. The balance, Yeah, to uh, <laughs> to balance it all out. I don't remember it keeps falling out about much. but. Um,
3: when we were kids and yet you get invited to like birthday parties and there's usually like a large group of other kids. I was always very mindful of getting that invite. I think, um, as a kid, you want to like looking at it from an adult perspective. Now, you know, like if I ever didn't get an invite, it probably wasn't personal. There's a very like easy math equation. Who are your child's closest friends that they just hang out with the most? They're going to get the invite. It has nothing to do with how much they like you. So like, I feel like something that felt insanely personal as a kid just clearly wasn't really it was, it was like, like, I should be upset that I'm not invited to something, but like, I also never really see this person. They're like a tertiary tier of like somebody I'm vaguely familiar with or an acquaintance. Like, I don't know. It's just like that different perspective um, of like, this isn't personal at all. And it just, everything feels so personal because it's your world when you're that young.
2: Yeah. And everything feels so much bigger when you're that young, right? Like, and I think that's the point here. I definitely remember, I look back and I remember plenty of times where my friends and I got into fights when we were in our early teens, but I don't remember what we were fighting about. So it clearly wasn't that important, but our worlds were so much smaller at that point that it was everything. At the time,
3: I will say too, pet death is not something you get over. I still remember no. I, I had rabbits that were eaten by a neighboring dog, and I'll never forget that. Or, or really, like, you know, it's still traumatizing the day of, I thought I couldn't live anymore because my pet rabbits had died. Like, you know, and it's just the the pain fades or whatever, but you never really forget something like that. So at least props to the author for coming up with something that actually is a little bit more lasting. Like if Pettigrew hadn't, I think the only reason Ron is ever able to mostly get over it is because of what Scabbers turns out to be. But otherwise he would have a perfectly legitimate reason for being seriously distant towards Hermione the rest of the series. I think, because she really is behaving carelessly right now as it relates to this. And, and if Ron, if if Scabbers had been a beloved pet whose memory was not tarnished, um, he would still have cause to be upset with her years later, I think.
2: I agree. All right, let's get into some Quidditch. This is the mantelpiece of this chapter, I think. So we have the Gryffindor versus Ravenclaw match, and it's Harry's first Quidditch game since his disastrous match against Hufflepuff where he fainted due to Dementors swarming onto the field. And it's also his first match with the Firebolt after he gets it back from Professor McGonagall. Something I wanted to touch on here, we did establish last week that the lack of broom standardization at Hogwarts creates unfair playing conditions. But this chapter really drives that home, Um, starting with the fact that Cho Chang despite being established as a good flyer, Harry notes it. She's a good flyer has to resort to tailing Harry and cutting him off because she simply can't keep up on her Comet 260. Um, Wood even mentions this during practice. She'll never be able to keep up with you. She flies on a Comet 260. So it doesn't matter that she's good because she just is using less optimal equipment. To play the game. So it's clearly common knowledge that the Firebolt gives Harry an edge over anyone flying anything less. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And Lee Jordan is doing color commentary during this game. <laughs> yeah. And he's basically, well, in McGonigal's mind, he's doing ads for the Firebolt. I actually thought it was great color commentary. It didn't feel like ads to me. And I think as a viewer, it's probably helpful to know about yeah. the. Well, as
1: somebody who reads ads, hold on. <laughs> you would be hey, Go ahead. <laughs> i was trying to make a joke but it didn't land so it's okay
0: um um yeah i i guess i see where you're going with that but i yeah it's just like i thought it was insightful commentary it didn't feel like advertising for the firebolt to me and i write ads and perform ads so i would know right micah i correct andrew
1: <laughs> indeed
0: I want to know
3: more about the precision balance and the special twigs and the, you know, that's all very interesting stuff. The built-in auto break.
0: And that's your job as a commentator. You're filling in the dead air with remarks on, you know, the skills of the players or their equipment. Absolutely. But yes, it does highlight just the, the major advantage with the Firebolt.
1: Totally. And this is something I think that they have to max in the upcoming TV show, Lee Jordan and McGonagall going back and forth with each other—it's it's great comedy.
2: I agree.
0: <laughs> in a way, we did a, we did get a bit of that in the Harry Potter quiz show.
1: We did,
2: yeah,
0: because the actor who plays Lee Jordan, Luke, Luke Youngblood, Luke Youngblood does like commentary on in the quiz show, which I thought was a nice touch.
1: That's great. But the Firebolt is a huge deal because even Draco comes over and for Draco to come over, it, he's definitely, despite whatever nasty things he's going to say to Harry, like he wants to check it out. Yeah, He wants to see how good this broom actually is. And this is probably one of the more tame moments in the entire series between Harry and Draco. Uh, but I thought it was important to note that he does come over. Uh And then for me, I know we're going to get into this more and and Chloe brought it up last week, Laura, you just mentioned it, but the lack of standardization really creates unfair competition. But what I was curious about is, does it minimize Harry's ability as a Quidditch player? Because if you have all of these other players that are on brooms that are less than, and the Firebolt, is it Really masking Harry's inefficiencies as a Quidditch player, or is it enhancing it? That's what I was thinking about as I was, I was reading through here because he always has the best, the best room best on the field. Yeah.
3: Well, that's not necessarily true. When last year, all of the Slytherins get Nimbus 2001s, Harry has to step up his game on his Nimbus 2000 and still manage to get the snitch over Malfoy. And that's why I'm actually really impressed by what Cho does and is able to do on the field this time, because, you know, I don't see it necessarily as underhanded or beneath her to be able to fly out in front and block Harry, I think that's the whole game. I think it's a tribute to her skill that she's even able to get in front of Harry because his broom is stated to be this insanely great, awesome broom. The fact that she can even make him think about her and her moves or pay mind to her is actually a huge testament to her Quidditch skill.
2: Yeah, well, and it, I think it's a testament to something else that we get a little like a little blink and you'll miss it moment here before they even take off. Um, Harry feels a lurch in his stomach when Cho smiles at him when they're standing on the pitch together before they take off. And of course, that's a great connecting the threads to Order of the Phoenix. But to that point, Eric, I really want to talk about Cho's gameplay here in response to the Firebolt, because it feels like that's her only tactic um it it's impossible for her to compete with harry otherwise unless she's trailing him unless she's blocking him i mean we even see you know madam hooch get in on
3: the field, the, the touching harry's broom yeah. uh, game <laughs> the,
2: i mean the fanfaring of the firebolt I wanted to Um, say
3: earlier, too, Draco clearly has broomstick envy when he just comes over. He can't can't even think about what to say. But yeah, the Firebolt, I mean, that's your only tactic. Think of it like boxing. If you're boxing out, and I don't know anything about boxing, but I'm using it anyway. If you box out of your weight class, right, (laughs) you have to be smarter. You have to figure out strategy because if you're boxing with somebody who's much bigger than you, you need that tactic. Otherwise, you're going to get flattened. And so I just think of it as a standard practice. But I mean I know Micah would know more. Like, is it do we are we saying it's cheap what Cho does? Or what's the question really?
2: Yeah. No, I, let us know, Micah. Is I, I mean, this a thing that happens? In <laughs> I'm not sports the world? expert
1: by any means. I'm not a Quidditch player. Uh I, well, strategy, right? It it's a part of sports. You know, if if you think about today's sports statistical information, in order to inform how teams plan for an opponent for different opponents Mm -hmm. is, is definitely something that we see quite a bit of. Uh, But in this particular case though, we're talking about a clear competitive advantage, which isn't based on talent, but it's based on the equipment that's being used. So that's where I have the struggle. I think when Hogwarts has quidditch matches, that everybody should be flying on the same brooms, or the best brooms should be given to the Seekers because they mm. need them. And, and that's why I was wondering, as a fellow Ravenclaw, if someone on Ravenclaw had a better broom than the Comet 260, why didn't they give it to Cho? Great question. Good, yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that they all had better brooms but surely somebody somebody in ravenclaw house somewhere just the
3: fact that they all have comet 260s says to me somebody made a gift to the ravenclaw quidditch team a few years ago when that was the hot broom (laughs) like that's gilderoy lock but but (laughs) but so but so that actually again like what you're seeing about broomstick standardization is something i never would have thought that i'd be thinking about but you're right you're 100 you're 100 right like they should be on an equal playing field so that their talent alone can can differentiate.
1: Can shine. And I wonder if Hufflepuff and Slytherin would have taken a different approach. You know, we know Ravenclaw House is known for certain things. And so being strategic would certainly be one of them. And I like what you were saying or what you had in the document, Andrew, about how you know, with Cho adjo- adopting this like strategy of following Harry everywhere sh- where he goes, like, should there be some sort of penalty that is given for doing something like that? Because, yeah, it's strategy, but it's also kind of cheating yeah. in a way. Well, I would right? like yeah, to say I how it's
0: cheating. I, well, I feel like there should be some sort of rule kind of equivalent to offsides in real sports where I'm not sure you should be allowed to trail somebody. Who has spotted the snitch before you? It seems a little unfair. You're just copying where they're going, whether or not they actually genuinely see it. I don't know. Something's never sat totally right with me about that. It's, you just feel like yeah, it seems like they're a copycat.
1: Because it's not just, hey, Andrew found the snitch. So, I'm going to go in that same direction that he's going. It's literally following him for the entirety of the match. Yeah, yeah. There's a difference.
0: You're not seeking the golden snitch. You're seeking Harry who's seeking the golden okay, snitch. Okay, there is a point. There is
3: a point in this chapter, to be fair, to to your guys' like whole argument here, there is a point in this chapter where Harry notices that Cho has stopped looking for it on her own and her strategy is to follow him. But right. because she switches to that strategy tells me that she was initially looking, as long as she's not spending the whole Yeah. Like, so it means that, you know, she uses both
0: tactics. I'm sure Harry himself. Yeah. And I'm speaking generally here, too, not just about this particular match, because during the final pursuit of the snitch. okay, but like there should be an offsides type of rule if they follow for longer than X number of seconds prior to the fight. I don't know how it would work. I just want to see less copycatting.
3: Yeah, like maybe make the seekers go to both ends of the field, opposite ends of the field every five minutes. You know, or something like, okay, nobody's got this niche.
0: Yeah, like tag home base sort of type Yeah, thing. like a
3: tag. Yeah, yeah, something like that maybe.
1: But in fairness to Cho, she's being put in this situation because yeah. her broom is not as good. Like sh- this is the strategy that she and Ravenclaw have to adopt because there's no way for them to keep up with Harry.
2: Yeah, I, I was thinking almost maybe this is a way that, that Quidditch could include some kind of standardization to level the playing field. If both Seekers are on equivalent or roughly equivalent brooms, then maybe there should be an offsides rule to doing something like this. But if there's such a vast difference in the quality of broom, then maybe it's not fair to include an offsides rule because Cho has no way to compete otherwise
3: well and they've solved this at the international level because of the quidditch world cup everyone's on a firebolt right mm-hmm. so you don't get the nimbus versus the comet versus the clean sweep versus the Firebolt. it doesn't exist everyone's on the same broom which is probably subsidized and heavily like everybody needs they need to do that with quidditch at hogwarts basically
2: look at us making quidditch better
3: yeah otherwise <laughs> it's a, it's all about class again it comes down to I mean, I'm trying to think of an equivalent sport where the richest kids have the most competitive advantage, unless we're talking about like what nutrients they eat for breakfast and, you know, higher quality meals than that. I don't think there's a similar comparison where like with brooms, yours can be twice as fast as the other guys, like naturally. And it has nothing to do with your athletic prowess at all. It's your broom. It's literally your vehicle of conveyance.
2: Yeah. And I mean, to the point about How superior the firebolt is, this entire match only lasts for two and a half pages, which is probably one of the shorter Quidditch matches we've seen. And much of that two and a half pages is dedicated to Lee Jordan's commentary, where he's exclusively talking about the Firebolt and Harry's observations about the Firebolt superiority. So you don't actually get a lot of Quidditch exposition in this match at all. And part of me wonders if this uh, kind of served the dual purpose of... Giving Harry a new broom, giving him the advantage, but also giving the author an out to not have to write as much Quidditch because we know that that was a struggle. (laughs)
1: Oh, yeah. She's talked about it many times that it was very hard for her to write Quidditch. And it's why it doesn't appear as much in the later books. And I also think there's only so much that you can do to make it interesting, right? We've seen it a lot during these first couple of books, but you always have to kind of attach something additional to move the narrative forward or include something that's important Mm -hmm. for future books, like the introduction of Cedric Diggory, the introduction of Cho Chang. Right. So that's what she's doing here but i i would imagine it gets kind of boring uh to have to try and write quidditch yeah. and make it compelling
2: book for, after for book. seven books
1: yeah yeah
3: well like multiple times the idea yeah the idea that one team can catch the snitch but the other team still wins is like a really interesting thing and you had that game where that happened then you had the game where it rained and then you had the game you know it's all very distinctive to your point it's like okay
2: well before Harry claims victory for Gryffindor, because of course he does, he has a firebolt, Um, he secures another important victory, which is casting his first fully formed Patronus in response to what he thinks are Dementors on the Quidditch pitch. Great job, Harry. (laughs) Except those weren't real Dementors. (laughs) I love that
1: in it. But I love this. yeah, Yeah. And... And so I was wondering, did Harry's excitement of finding the snitch allow Harry to conjure the Patronus? Because I was wondering to me, that this too. doesn't seem like a really powerful memory we know from his lessons with Lupin that it needs to be enough. And and this was from what we understand, like an actual Patronus that was cast. And so I'm wondering that, or was it because he really just didn't even think at all he was in the moment, he was reacting, and his attention was more so focused on finding the snitch and not the Dementors, and it's like, okay, I got to get rid of these Dementors because I'm super laser-focused on the snitch.
2: It's a good point. It almost um, makes me think that his muscle memory kicked in in response to all of his lessons with Lupin as soon as he saw something that even vaguely- looked like a dementor, he did it without thinking.
3: I think too, it's it's only it would be slightly different if they were real Dementors after casting Expecto Patronum, like while his uh stag is galloping down. Um the book says uh he didn't pause to watch his mind still miraculously clear he looked ahead. That bit about his mind being clear wouldn't have occurred if the dementors were actually there. Um, so I think it would retroactively affect his ability to conjure the Patronus. Like, yeah, he's, he's focused on Quidditch. It's totally right. He sees this and it's, he's going for, he's like, not now and cast the spell. But, but if the Dementors were really there, there would have been some kind of emotional component or like in advance their, their essence that would have maybe made him stumble a little bit more since it's just humans. Since it's just Malfoy and Flint and Crab and Goyle. That component of like hearing his parents doesn't factor in at all. Yeah, I agree with that. So he's struggling less than he normally would.
2: I know between that and the firebolt, Harry just really has a leg up (laughs) during this match. Mm -hmm. Um, But we ultimately learn that it's it's Malfoy and his lackeys. It's Malfoy, Crabbe and Goyle and Marcus Flint donned in long black robes and standing on each other's shoulders (laughs) to try and sabotage Harry. Kind of funny. Uh, When Harry casts his Patronus, it stuns them. They're all knocked down and then they're tangled up in their robes. Harry gets the satisfaction of seeing that sight and seeing Professor McGonagall reprimand them for doing this awful thing. But I wanted to ask, is 50 points from Slytherin enough of a consequence for doing this? Because Harry could have fainted and fallen off his broom again and potentially hurt himself or die. Well,
3: they do all get detention. (laughs) <laughs> right but we don't know what i trust is. mcgonagall did we, did i actually i trust mcgonagall to make it bad but no 50 isn't <laughs> yeah 50 isn't enough
1: no it's in my mind it should be 50 each not 50 total and i would have suspended draco and flint from playing in their next quidditch yes. match i think that i would have to this too yeah and detention served guard duty with real dementors to give them a sense Ooh. for who they were trying to impersonate
0: They could have potentially impacted the outcome of the game, which impacts their standing in Quidditch this year. So I think, I mean, I would maybe consider banning them for the rest of the season. That's I unsportsmanlike that conduct.
3: Can't you get banned for that? Like that's literally, if it were other Slytherins. Yeah, you can get suspended. Yeah, yeah. If they just, if they just made other Slytherins do it, okay, you're cheering for your team, whatever. But since it's the players that are coming and doing this, that actually is like an extra layer of like cheating for me.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: I think. Well, well it's, it's it's Malfoyan. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and it's funny because in Order of the Phoenix, Harry, Fred, and George all get suspended from playing by Umbridge. Because they nearly get into a fist fight with Malfoy over him saying really uncharitable things about Mrs. Weasley. Um so it's it's just an interesting connecting the threads moment there where Malfoy and his goons actually do something unprovoked to cheat and to sabotage Harry, and they don't get suspended, but then in a couple of books. Harry and team have a very natural, visceral reaction to something nasty that was said, and they get suspended for that.
3: It's just a showing of how it's not ever going to be even or fair, I think. Yep.
2: There are two systems of justice at Hogwarts, clearly. (laughs) Well, and if
3: Harry hadn't done so well against them, and like, I think part of their punishment, McGonagall's probably like, part of their punishment was getting attacked by a Patronus. Like, what a cool Mm -hmm. thing that that harry did if harry had suffered more or if it had been more taxing on him if he had fallen off his broom then this the consequences
1: would have been more severe i wish we would have seen what happened when dumbledore showed up though because we're told that he's like walking in that direction but we don't actually get the payoff Mm. yeah he He probably laughed he would have said something (laughs) cutting
2: he did a little chuckle. Oh silly boys. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I've said before, he likes he likes the chaos. He so likes he, the drama. Yeah, he, he yeah. probably enjoys enjoyed that.
2: He's like Marie Kondo. He loves mess. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but it's gotta be a proud papa moment for Lupin.
2: Yeah. yeah. Well, and imagine Lupin saw Harry's Patronus and saw what it was. Harry doesn't know at this point, not consciously. But that must have been quite the moment for Lupin to see Harry's Patronus appearing as a stag. Speaking of the Marauders, I want to chat a little bit about their place in this chapter because they definitely have one. Um, We know before we get into the events of the later on in the evening, Gryffindor Tower is a party. It is a whole party. They are shutting the common room down. It gets boom, to the point where boom, Professor boom, McGonagall boom, has boom. to come at like 1 a.m. <laughs> in her, in her you dressing gown. Can dance
0: like a na, 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 na. Yeah,
2: I know. It's one of those common room parties on TikTok. Um, that's oh, how yeah. you can imagine it. Um, but Professor McGonagall finally comes and shuts the whole thing down. They all go to bed. And this is where I want to draw... Um, some attention to the Marauders because this is another chapter where all four of the Marauders play some kind of role. Um, There's Peter for being allegedly murdered again. There's Lupin, present at Quidditch, Sirius who breaks into Gryffindor Tower, and James. And I think we see James represented in the dream Harry has where his dream is represented as Harry was walking through a forest, following something silvery white. He could only catch glimpses of it between the leaves. And he also heard hooves gathering speed. See, I always picture that
3: as Lily the Doe, in a book seven connection.
2: Yes. So I'm so glad you brought that up because I think there's an argument for both here. And we just don't even know it yet.
3: He's chasing his parents. Yeah. Both their animal forms have hooves.
2: <laughs> I know. And there are two points where he's following he's following their forms, right? There's that point in book seven, but he's also in the forest at the end of this book.
3: Yeah. Right. Chasing after right? the stag.
2: Chasing after the stag. And that's the cool thing so, about
3: this chapter specifically is Harry doesn't see what his Patronus is. He's focused on the snitch. Everyone else sees what it is, which is really yeah. cool.
0: Yeah, my gut tells me it's more looking ahead to the end of this book, but I like what you're saying here. It could very well be foreshadowing.
2: Harry is woken from this dream to Ron screaming and, of course, quickly learns that Sirius Black was standing above Ron with a knife. He had shredded Ron's bed curtains. You know, obviously, we know now looking for Peter. But I wanted to ask the question. Because we know that Sirius is, he's in a a particular kind of mental state with being on the run and also having been in Azkaban and being on his, you know, vengeance story arc at the moment. Um, If Scabbergrew, as I like to call him, had been there. (laughs) Scabbergrew. Sounds like something you're
3: going to drink to replace your bones. (laughs) I know. We'll
2: have to see what, what was that potion called Harry had to drink?
3: (laughs) Skelligrow. (laughs) <laughs>
2: do you declare canon um god no uh, do we think that sirius would have attacked regardless of ron being there it, it seems like the reason he doesn't obviously it's ron waking everybody up as part of it but if scabbers aka peter had been there would sirius have thrown all caution to the wind and been like eff it i'm here this is my moment And would Ron getting hurt have just been collateral damage?
3: That's an interesting question. We don't want to put that on serious, do we? The fact that he would have and could
0: have harmed a student, Yeah, that's making me uncomfortable. But yeah, he's
3: mad enough to break into Gryffindor Tower while people are there. He's not using the holiday or anything. He needs Peter to be there. That means being around students. He would have injured a kid or hurt a kid collaterally in trying to get scabbers.
2: And Micah, you raised this question early on in the episode. Ron is dealing with a lot of emotional damage in this chapter.
1: <laughs> he is. And it's it's tough because nobody believes him in this moment. And he has to get Sir Cadigan to validate his claim that Sirius Black, in fact, did break in. Well, not break in. He was given full entry <laughs> because he had the passwords, but- it's just, I don't know if it speaks to a larger theme of Ron not being fully trusted when he presents information. He always needs like a second layer of validation from somebody in order to be believed. And in this case, it's a freaking portrait. and they th- And I guess where I have... The the issue is, why would you believe Sir Cadigan over Ron? Yeah, right? I guess because he was in the portrait. He's no reason to lie. Yeah, yeah. It's not, but he's not even a real human being. Yeah, like, you're taking the word of Sir Cadigan, not over Ron, but to validate Ron.
3: I get that. I think it's because of the portraits function as a purpose. Like they, they, there, there may be certain rules or like, they just don't have the level of human motives that humans have like to lie. And so asking a portraits, like just checking security footage basically is like getting, getting the answer back a little bit more characteristically than you'd normally expect. But
2: yeah, and if
0: people at Hogwarts listen to this show, they would know that Ron is a very observant, smart (laughs) character. So they should believe him.
2: Right? And the thing is, nobody believes Ron in this book. It, And he's Thank right. You. I mean, he's right about Crookshanks being after scabbers. And nobody validates this concern. Um, and then he's right about Sirius Black standing over him with a knife. And it requires getting, you know, basically secondary confirmation from the from Sir Cadigan, who is nuts. I mean, it's yeah. established. <laughs> Everybody understands this and, and agrees on this.
1: I would add to that too, Laura, that he's right about Hermione. Yep. And the fact that she is clearly up to something because she doesn't have the time to be able to do all the things she's doing. He doesn't know 100%, but he's onto it. He's a smart character. Speaking of Sir Cadigan, right? If Harry is that important... Why are you protecting him with a portrait, right? Like, <laughs> if we know Sirius was in Gryffindor, we know Sirius is after Harry. Shouldn't there be an extra layer of protection outside of Gryffindor Tower?
0: You would think. It's starting to sound like a security
3: nightmare. Security nightmare. Here's the thing: slashing the portrait didn't actually get Sirius through into the portrait hole last time. Right. So he's come prepared with this list of passwords. Thanks Neville. Um, but that's because he learned from his last mistake that he does need to actually get the portraits consent. So it is a stopgap. It is an effective measure to just have the portrait there because it stopped him last time. But I think that he should have put an additional sentry or something out there for sure.
2: Yeah. Well, and here's my question. Did, cadogan are we i feel we like haven't decided, said we haven't decided we go back and forth
3: i say cadogan whatever
2: yeah well did cadogan just let Sirius run down the list of passwords trying each one until he got it right like how are there not security measures <laughs> against something like this right i don't get it like I think about my iPhone or anything else. Mm. Too many password attempts. Well your common room no, is locked. I always, reach out to your head of house to reset right, it. I That's, love that. Or
0: like or like with the phone itself implodes now. If you in, if it. you incorrectly type in the passcode like <laughs> ten times, I shouldn't use the word implode right now,
1: but
3: uh,
0: oh right. Too soon.
3: <laughs> I or saying so was too soon. I always pictured this way differently than you guys. I picture it as a very pleasant conversation between Sirius Black and Sir Cadogan of like, not only do I have the password, but actually I have a few. And then Cadogan is dumb enough to see it as like extra authentic, like that he has the multiple passwords. Like not only am I authorized to come in here, but let me tell you how authorized I am. I'm going to give you the next three passwords too. Right, right, right. Okay, great. I'm awesome. I'm in. Like, <laughs> I don't think of it as being the, let me try this. No? Okay, how about this? And he's like, like, oh, you did do your research. You know, something like that. But actually just thought of something else. The fact that Sirius was a Gryffindor and knows Gryffindor Tower more than anyone else in the school that's a Mm non-Gryffindor means there should be dozens more security agents here because because that's who he's after is Harry, presumably. He's after a Gryffindor and he was a Gryffindor. You got to know he knows every end table. He knows every surface. He could walk it in the dark the way that we are all familiar with our homes and could do the same, like that actually raises additional reasons why the Gryffindor common room should be much more secure. In fact, why not move the Gryffindor common room this year to like the third floor corridor, which they're not using or somewhere else that Sirius black would not have this innate knowledge of having intended the school.
2: I also just have a problem with Cadogan letting Let's say he doesn't even know who Sirius is. Letting a thirty-year-old man who's clearly not a Hogwarts professor into the common room yeah. again—like that should in be dirty
1: rags, no less. <laughs>
2: right.
3: Well, that's that is the funny thing is that <laughs> there's no discernment of like if you have the password, you're allowed in. But does Cadogan not realize what happened to his predecessor here? Like, literally, she encountered this guy. Like that should be number one. Is did nobody, clearly nobody thought to tell the portrait. If you see this person, don't let them in. Like, whether they have the password or not, just don't let this person right. attack your predecessor.
1: Show him a picture of what Sirius looks like. <laughs> like, how is, how is, yeah, that that's what kind of I struggle with. But then even too, with the whole Gryffindor Tower thing, Sirius would have to know exactly where Harry, Ron, and and the rest of those uh five sleep like it, it presumably there's more than just harry and ron in gryffindor tower so do to, is this like a a moment where crookshanks has been feeding information to sirius about okay this is actually exactly where they sleep
0: yeah
2: well don't the don't the dorms label their year in Isn't hogwarts it- legacy they know. do <laughs> Yeah, They do?
3: Oh, I missed that. Well, depending, I think the Slytherin one does.
2: Yeah, I think they do. And, you know, regardless, Sirius knows at this point that Ron has scabbers. He knows that Harry and Ron are friends and he knows how old, how old Harry is. So given the fact that he knows Gryffindor Tower really well, it's probably not that hard for him to figure out. Yeah. How he well, discerned which bed it was is interesting. <laughs> I don't know. He probably had
3: five sticks on the ground laid out in an octagon shape or like a posting, and then asked Crookshanks which one Peter was
0: in. Because <laughs> he's not really after Harry at all, we know. Um, Laura mentioned smartphone security, right? Like with the iPhone as mm-hmm. Touch ID, Face ID. How about this at Hogwarts? Wand ID. Wand ID. Yeah. <laughs> Juan chooses Smart. the wizard, well, what everybody's if you, got their if own wand. change
3: wands, it's a hassle because Ron just got a new wand and he had to go through the whole process. Yeah, well,
2: you know. Yeah. I mean, think about what happens if you have like Google Authenticator on your phone and you forget Two-factor to remove it
3: before you get your wards. new
2: phone.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a nightmare.
1: And Laura, though, to your point, uh, it's also another misdirect, right? That Sirius mm-hmm. chose the wrong bed. And was actually after Harry and and not Scabbers. It's
2: a great point. We can just wrap up this chapter by saying, "Poor Neville, poor Neville. Yeah, he was set up for failure. We know he's forgetful. You put this guy in who changes the password multiple times a week. I wouldn't remember. I would probably be Neville in this case. I don't know how you would <laughs> remember."
3: All the passwords, yeah, that they're
2: changing that frequently.
3: Yeah. I was wondering, because I had a thought that Neville, as a consequence for this, she says, what abysmally foolish person wrote a list of passwords. It's really harsh words just from, now, like, McGonagall. But I was thinking that maybe, because he gets detention from this, whether he event- eventually had to serve detention with the Slytherins. Because their crimes are not the same, right? The ones who went on the field. Yeah. Um, But I don't think I found proof of that. But looking ahead... Uh, He's banned from Hogsmeade, all future Hogsmeade visits, and he uh, is unable to have the password. He always needs a buddy. Moving forward, these uh, punishments are far greater than what the what Draco and Flint and Crab and Goyle got this this same chapter. So I understand it's not quite the same as interfering with a sports game, but it's a little unbalanced from McGonagall here.
2: Yeah, I mean her thinking, I suppose, is that Neville put Harry and his fellow, you know, students at serious risk. (laughs) 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 Serious risk. Um, But- I see
1: what you did there.
2: Yeah, but, you know, even though it was unintentional, I think the results had Sirius actually been a mass murderer c- would have been more disastrous, potentially for more students. So I think that's where McGonagall is coming from. But it does suck because it basically isolates Neville from his peers and it could have resulted in some bullying amongst his peers. I don't think that happens. I think everyone kind of cuts him some slack, really. But it yeah. does. Yeah. It does suck.
1: Hermione should have gotten detention after the fact because we know it's Crookshanks that <laughs> ultimately <laughs> stole the passwords and took them to serious, <laughs> and she's responsible for the actions of her cat. Yes, is. So, yes. But I, the other thing that came to mind is how close is McGonagall's chambers to the Gryffindor common room? I was thinking about this both when she comes to stop the party and then she shows up pretty quickly after the serious black attack. They and must share a wall. Hog- like, I don't know. Yeah, like, I'm thinking Hogwarts Legacy. We do get to see the chambers of all of the professors and they're all in kind of different places. So I'm wondering, you know, it does. is she like right around the corner? Like-
0: yeah, I agree. Gotta be close. Probably. I would think. That would make sense, I think, for each head of house to be close.
2: Yeah,
1: by.
2: I think that makes sense. And that I think it's um reminiscent of probably how a lot of boarding schools are situated, um, especially when they have these like, house situations, or even just, you know, different dormitories, especially when the kids are under age, I imagine there's some kind of like, I think the old Old school terminology was having a dorm mother, um, but something along those lines. It would make sense for that person to be close.
3: There just needs to be like a pull string, right? Because none of these ki- none of these <laughs> kids need know how to send a Patronus or something to warn them, or maybe even use like an like a what's the word um, the loud charm to get your voice loud. Like, there's no way to really call your head of house without there being like a button or a pull string. Like, time to get off the bus. Like, come come find us.
0: Yeah, in Downton Abbey, they have kind of a pull string system. You, rings put, the you pull bell. the rope and it rings the bell. There you go. Yeah, downstairs. one of those.
2: Yeah. yeah. And Maggie Smith is also in Downton Abbey, so connecting the threads.
0: McGonagall would hate that, <laughs> though, like that the students could like force a bell to ring in her own quarters, her own private quarters, well, what, don't they, they have.
3: Want. Yeah, if they don't have a dorm mother or something, or if the prefects aren't, you know. It yeah. should
0: be the op- opposite. Oh. In her sleeping quarters, She has a rope to pull that rings a bell in the Gryffindor common room.
1: To shut up.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Everybody shut up.
1: (laughs) Amazing. Well, she gives Percy uh, some hell in this chapter, too.
2: Yeah. And he gets super defensive about it. Of course, it's in character.
1: He's such a twat in this chapter, though. We can talk
2: about that. (laughs) But anyway, let's move on to some odds and ends here. Um, Wanted to do another quick connecting the threads moment. Um, When Harry goes to Quidditch practice earlier on in the chapter, and he lets Ron borrow the firebolt to test it out, um, Ron specifically asks to shoot a few hoops on the firebolt. And in Order of the Phoenix, he actually becomes the keeper for Gryffindor. So this is another one of those blinking you'll miss it moments. Um, and then I just wanted to ask. Uh, you know, we know Percy and Penelope have a bet. Penelope's a Ravenclaw uh, about whether Gryffindor or Ravenclaw will win the match, and um, the prize is ten galleons. Is Percy really going to make Penelope pay this up? I feel like you're possessed. To to her credit, it's not her fault. She was possessed, but your possessed sister did petrify her last year. So I don't know that I would be rocking the boat. My man, like, what are you doing? <laughs>
0: My man.
3: <laughs>
2: Furthermore, he doesn't have 10 galleons. Right. Yeah. You know, is he that would, way he
3: did this. He would make her what to get money. <laughs> but then you're extorting yeah. your girlfriend. Like this is the last person you should be see Like it's bad. It's really bad.
1: Yeah. And it's just another reference to the Weasley family finances being mentioned in passing. Yeah. Like, Percy's making bets that he can't even pay off, but that's
0: why he's definitely going to collect because he needs the money. Yeah, he could use it. Like, what was
3: he going to do? Because uh, he he would have apologized and expected Penelope to forgive him, and she probably would have if it were the other foot. If Ravenclaw had won,
1: yeah, but he's such an ass to her earlier on in the chapter when she comes over to look at the fireball. He's like, "No sabotage," <laughs> you <laughs> it's know, just like-, <laughs> like that.
0: Yeah,
2: I know. It's like why are you dating her if you think she would do that?
1: Why is she dating him? Yeah, it's his his ministry persona is definitely starting to shine through early on. Yeah, yep, it's a nice glimpse. And then uh, one other odd and end, I think we may have mentioned this earlier, but Crookshanks begins to tail Harry and Ron. We see him show up when they're walking back from um, Quidditch practice. And uh, Ron picks up a stone to try and throw at Crookshanks, but uh, Crookshanks gets away just in the nick of time. And I was wondering, as I was reading that part, Crookshanks is kind of in the bushes and in, in like amongst the branches. And I was wondering. Are they walking past the Whomping Willow and not even recognizing it in this moment? And Crookshanks has just kind of positioned himself on
3: uh, the little knot that doesn't
1: allow the tree to attack them. Um, I don't know if it explicitly calls that out, but-
2: It doesn't call out the Whomping Willow, but I was wondering the same thing. Was was Crookshanks visiting Sirius in the Shrieking Shack?
1: hmm
2: Is this what's happening here?
1: Yeah. And this, this becomes a trend now, right? Where Crookshang starts to pop up in different places mm-hmm. when really he's he's after Ron, not Harry, but usually
2: they're together. So we'll have to keep an eye on it for the rest of the book. All right. Well, let's move into most valuable wizard of the week, our MVP of the week.
0: I'm gonna give it to Sirius for recognizing that his old school is a security nightmare and it it's the easiest <laughs> hack for him to break in.
3: Oh my God, are we giving MVPs to the Marauders? Because mine is for Peter Pettigrew. He oh. successfully fakes his own death a second time. This took planning and strategy. It really actually did. Everybody buys that Scabbers is dead. So good for Peter.
1: Well, not a Marauder, but maybe an honorary one. Uh, Madame Hooch. We're taking a well-deserved power nap. Yeah. I mean, she she just snoozes out during uh, the end of Quidditch practice when she's supposed to be keeping an eye on Harry, I'm talking more about that security nightmare issue that Hogwarts has. But uh, good for her. You know, when you need a good nap, I don't blame anybody. She's probably overworked and underpaid anyway by Dumbledore.
2: Yeah, very likely. And uh, sticking to the Quidditch theme here, I'm going to give mine to the Firebolt uh, for making Quidditch matches shorter. Because (laughs) (laughs) as much as we know that um, the author struggled to write these scenes, they can sometimes be a struggle to turn into uh, a fun discussion for the show. So thanks, Firebolt.
0: (laughs) Good observation. If you have any feedback about today's episode or the chapters ahead, you can send an owl to mugglecast at gmail.com or you can use the contact form on mugglecast.com. You can also send a voice message, just record it using the voice memo app on your phone and then email us that file. Or we got a phone number, which is 19203muggle. That's one nine two zero three six eight four four five three. We say it both ways because we want to show off. We have a number with muggle in the number. And then who likes to type in a word on their phone? So then we give the actual number. Can you even got to do, do that it both now? ways.
3: Yeah. I'm trying to think on that. Yeah. Way. You
0: could still do that. Oh, yeah. I think okay. It's, silly. Yeah, it's so silly. I was thinking about that earlier this week. I was like, why do I oh, chase this? Like, call 1 800 321 Chase. I'm like, I have to look at the letters. And then I realize we do that too. So we have never room to talk. Anyway, next week, we'll discuss chapter 14 of Prisoner of Azkaban, Snape's Grudge.
1: Yeah, that's a nice connecting the threads there, right? Uh, Order of the Phoenix. Isn't there a chapter, Snape's Worst Memory? Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. All right, it's time for some quizzage.
3: Thanks to Micah for taking over last week for me. Uh, the question was no What does Percy win from his girlfriend Penelope when Gryffindor beats Ravenclaw? The correct answer was, of course, 10 galleons. I think Penelope would probably pay up. Percy sucks. Correct answers were submitted by Agatha Tim's Eel Farm, Bring Back Quizits Live, Deep Cover Horror. <laughs> Dobby died. Do- I love how people are just
0: communicating with us through this. Yeah, through this yeah. <laughs> I did just read our email address. You can submit it that way too. Yeah, at feedback that way. D- d- that's the preferred method of feedback delivery.
3: Um, somebody says Dobby died doing brave things. Yeah, yes, he did. Hufflepuff plant lady Jordan McDonald, Lego guy Karch, Lupin's lady Micah's radio voice, Penelope pay up. Somebody mm. said <laughs> clever. Percy I'm compensating for a small wand Weasley okay that's fair
2: Ooh. Uh, Pig
3: the owl Ravenclaw from Waxaw, and Weatherby forecast so congratulations to everyone who submitted the correct answer being 10 galleons somebody did say 10 galleons for the hubby okay alright um, next week's question what does Flitwick do to the front doors of Hogwarts of course, find the answer to that question in the next chapter we'll be discussing. And submit your answers to us via the Quizich entry form found on the website, mugglecast.com slash or go to mugglecast.com and click on Quizitch from the top of the main
1: nav. And don't forget that Eric, Chloe, and I will be at LeakyCon 2023 in Chicago this summer from August 4th through the 6th. Uh, listeners who are interested in registering for the convention can visit leakycon.com and enter code Muggle during checkout for a 10% discount. More information to follow on our panels, but we will be doing a MuggleCast meetup in the Chicago area that weekend. So whether or not you're in town for the convention, it doesn't matter. You can still come by and say hello, and uh, we'll probably be finalizing those details soon. Right, Eric? We'll have more info on that probably sooner than we will have panel info.
0: We mentioned Patreon earlier, but if you're an Apple Podcasts user, for just $2.99 a month, you can receive ad-free and early access to MuggleCast right within the Apple Podcasts app. Patreon does offer more benefits, but if you'd prefer to support us right within Apple Podcasts, the offer is there. Just tap into the show and you'll see the subscribe button. Plus, a free trial is available, just like we have for Patreon. And don't forget to follow us on social media. We're MuggleCast on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok. And make sure you're following the show for free in your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. We release episodes every Tuesday. And please leave us a five-star review if they allow you to and you're enjoying the show. Thank you very much, everybody. And that concludes this week's episode of MuggleCast. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric.
1: I'm Micah.
2: And I'm Laura.
0: We'll see everybody next time. Bye. Bye, y'all. Bye.